CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black. Frustrated. Frustrated, I say, because I was in the middle of recording a different podcast. I was recording an episode of Mike and Tom Eat Snacks with my good friend Tom Cavanaugh when my internet just went kablooey, just just uh, stopped working. And I ha- we had to abandon ship because I just had no internet. And for some reason, it's not even letting me connect to my personal hotspot. And so, you know, I was all set up to talk and record and do the whole thing. And so I said, well, to hell with him anyway. I've got a great American novel to pick up, so why don't I do that instead? Great American novel, of course, being Wuthering Heights. Now, I don't know if this is a coincidence or just kismet. I don't know what this is, but we're reading Wuthering Heights together, friends. And, you know, of course, I thought to myself, well, Wuthering Heights, that's a dusty old novel. I'm not going to like that. Just like I think every novel, you know, I pick up, I'm not going to like. And then turns out, of course, you know, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. Okay, right? So we, we got that. But then, concurrently, Martha picks up a bag of Werther's Originals. You know, those, those, those caramel candies? And you think, well, that's just, just a dusty old candy. I'm not going to like that. Why did she pick up a dusty old hard candy? Turns out, Werther's Originals, tremendous. What a tremendous candy that is. I've been sucking on them like nobody's business. And, and if she bought the sugar-free ones. The sugar-free ones, they taste a little bit different than the original, but they're still terrific, delicious, very low calories. Uh, I've become a convert. Now, keep in mind, I'm now a 50-year-old man, so it seems, it seems like I may have aged into Werther's Originals. You know, I don't, know, I don't even know if you're, you're allowed to eat them before you reach your 50s. But I'm right on the cusp, and I got in there, and uh, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to. I got one. I got one right here next to me. You hear that? 
That's a that's a foil wrapped Werther's original sugar free, delicious little candy. So between the diet sodas and the sugar free Werther's originals, like I am just poisoning myself on the regular, you know, because the sugar free. You think, well, you know, sugar's terrible for you. The, you know, it causes inflammation, all kinds of terrible things. But whatever they're using to substitute has got to be worse. You know, it's just got, it's just got to be rat poison. Whatever the substitute is has got to be, you know, it's just putting cancer in your mouth. You know, but it's delicious. It's the most delicious cancer. It, it got to be better than, you know, uh, putting a pinch of tobacco between your lip and gum. That doesn't taste good can't suck on it in the same way and you end up having to spit and it causes the same amount of cancer. So I might as well get my cancer from Werther's Sugar-Free Originals. What a great candy that is. God, my life is pathetic. I mean, I think that's the point of what I'm trying to say here is that my life has now become a series of tiny joys interrupted by great stretches of uh, anxiety and depression. But when your joy is as tiny and delicious as a sugar-free Werther's original, man, makes it makes the rest of it all worthwhile. Here's another thing I've been doing, you know, because, uh, well, look, I was doing a snack podcast and now I had to transition to this. So um, this is going to be snack related as well, but I've been making homemade popcorn at night because it is... Uh, better for you than like the the microwave popcorn with all the oils and stuff on it. So I've been just been using just a little bit of oil and uh, four teaspoons of, of Orville Redenbacher popcorn and just, you know, getting that up and throwing some salt on there. That's a good snack. That's a good late night snack. You know, when, you, when you're sitting down there in the dark by yourself, mulling over all the misfortunes and mistakes that you've made in your life, nothing like sitting there shoving handful after handful of dry, salted popcorn into your stupid face, you know, and then you get yourself a Diet Coke and finish it off with a sugar-free Werther's original. Just a peek behind the curtain into my life. Well, we finished chapter nine last time on Wuthering Heights. Mrs. Dean has finally shut her yob, her gob, her yob, her gob, her yob, her her gob, She's finally shut her mouth and gone to bed at long last, so we can all get some rest. Uh, Lockwood, having heard the tale of Heathcliff and Catherine and Hareton and Linton and all the rest of them, uh, has decided uh, he's going to go to bed, you know, but at first he's got to meditate on on it for a couple hours uh, until about dawn, you know, but then finally, you know, he drags his weary bones up to bed and calls it a night. That was the end of chapter nine. And we're kind of caught up a little bit closer to present day than we were. So why don't we pick it up here with a new chapter? Always exciting to start a new chapter on obscure. And indeed we are going to chapter 10 of Wuthering Heights. A charming introduction to a hermit's life. Four weeks torture, tossing, and sickness. Uh, So I don't know what's going on. Did Lockwood get sick? Oh, these bleak winds and bitter northern skies and impassable roads and dilatory country surgeons. And oh, this dearth of the human physiognomy. And worse than all, the terrible intimation of Kenneth that I need not expect to be out of doors till spring. So I guess Lockwood has taken ill. 
four weeks has have passed, and he's just been there shitting out long streams of diarrhea and in bed. And Kenneth there saying, hey, friend, uh, you're not going anywhere till spring. You know, you, you got to recover from whatever it is that you got. And uh, so that's what he's doing. Mr. Heathcliff has just honored me with a call. About seven days ago, he sent me a brace of grouse, the last of the season. Scoundrel. Well, why is he a scoundrel for sending a brace of grouse? That's, I don't know if he's being sarcastic there. What's happening? He is not altogether guiltless in this illness of mine, and that I had a great mind to tell him, oh, because he went out in the cold and the damp and the sick and the rain and all the rest of it. But alas, how could I offend a man who is charitable enough to sit at my bedside a good hour and talk on some other subject than pills and drafts, blisters and leeches? This is quite an easy interval. I am too weak to read. Yet I feel as if I could enjoy something interesting. Why not have up Mrs. Dean to finish her tale? I can recollect its chief incidents as far as she had gone. Yes, I remember her hero had run off, meaning Heathcliff, and never been heard of for three years. And the heroine was married. I'll ring. She'll be delighted to find me capable of talking cheerfully. So we find Lockwood in bed, and Heathcliff, who, uh, you know, has really expressed no particular interest or fondness for Lockwood to this point, has sent him a brace of grouse and come to sit at his bedside, and now he is at least well enough to have a good chat with Mrs. Dean and get the rest of the tale told. So he rings, Mrs. Dean came. It wants 20 minutes, sir, to taking the medicine, she commenced. Away, away with it, I replied. I desire to have. The doctor says you must drop the powders. With all my heart, don't interrupt me. Come and take your seat here. Keep your fingers from that bitter phalanx of vials. Draw your knitting out of your pocket. That will do. Now, continue the history of Mr. Heathcliff from where you left off to the present day. Did he finish his education on the continent and come back a gentleman? Or did he get a Sizar's place at college or escape to America and earn honors by drawing blood from his foster country? Or, I don't know how he could get to America from America, but I guess that's just a logical problem that we seem to have encountered, but we'll let that slide. Or make a fortune more promptly on the English highways, meaning did he become a, a brigand and, a, and hold up stagecoaches and such. He may have done a little in all these vocations, Mr. Lockwood, but I couldn't give my word for any. I stated before that I didn't know how he gained his money, neither am I aware of the means he took to raise his mind from the savage ignorance into which it was sunk. But with your leave, I'll proceed in my fashion, if you think it will amuse and not weary you. Are you feeling much better this morning? Much. That's good news. All right, so we've had an, we've had a, an interlude of four weeks' time of illness. I'm not sure from a literary point of view what the purpose of that four-week interval was other than to show Heathcliff demonstrating a small kindness, but so be it. Here we are. So... Uh, Mrs. Dean is about to 
resume her tale. I got Miss Catherine and myself to Thrushcross Grange, and to my agreeable disappointment, she behaved infinitely better than I dared to expect. She seemed almost over-fond of Mr. Linton, and even to his sister. She showed plenty of affection. They were both very attentive to her comfort, certainly. It was not the thorn bending to the honeysuckles, but the honeysuckles embracing the thorn. There were no mutual concessions. One stood erect, and the other yielded. And who can be ill-natured and bad-tempered when they encounter neither opposition nor indifference? I observed that Mr. Edgar had a deep-rooted fear of ruffling her humor. Well, he should have a deep-rooted fear of it, because she slapped the shit out of him all the last time. He did so. He concealed it from her. But if ever he heard me answer sharply, or saw any other servant grow cloudy at some imperious order of hers, he would show his trouble by a frown of displeasure that never darkened on his own account. He many a time spoke sternly to me about my pertness, and averred that the stab of a knife could not inflict a worse pang than he suffered at seeing his lady vexed. Now, you know me, and you know my whole thing about expanding the definition of masculinity, etc., 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 but can we just call a spade a spade? This guy is pussy-whipped, okay? He's just pee-whipped within an inch of his life, and uh, that, you know, that just that's just not going to make for a good marriage when one party is subservient to the other unless it's some sort of role-playing that they do, but I don't think that's the case here. This, is a, this isn't a dom and sub situation. This is one guy terrified of his wife, and for good reason, because she is a harpy. In the comments, you know, in the, on the Patreon page the other day, Dana, Dana Huff, longtime friend of the podcast, was agreeing with me that there's not a good character in this book. And normally, she said, when, when she experiences some work of literature or art, she wants to identify with at least one of the characters, but she can't with any of these, and yet she says she loves the book. Well, I, you know, I think we agree. None of these people are good people. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is, this is Seinfeldian in its lack of agreeable personae. But, you know, Seinfeld, huge hit. This, this book, too, also apparently a hit. He many a time spoke sternly about her pertness, right? And he didn't like to see his lady vexed. Not to grieve a kind master, I learned to be less touchy. And for the space of half a year, the gunpowder lay as harmless as sand because no fire came near to explode it. Catherine had seasons of gloom and silence now and then. They were respected with sympathizing silence by her husband, who ascribed them to an alteration in her constitution produced by her perilous illness, as she was never subject to depression of spirits before. Well, how would he know that? He didn't know her before she got sick. Right? You remember she had sort of stolen over to Thrushcross Grange with Heathcliff at her side, and they were spying on Edgar and his sister, and then she caught sick and she recuperated with them. But how, how would he know? You know, it sounds to me like she's a little bit uh, manic, you know, and a little bit bipolar. Or maybe just, you know, a B word. The return of Sunshine was welcomed by answering Sunshine from him. 
I believe I may assert that they were really in possession of deep and growing happiness. It ended. Well, we must be for ourselves in the long run. The mild and generous are only more justly selfish than the domineering. And it ended when circumstances caused each to feel that the one's interest was not the chief consideration in the other's thoughts. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's take a little break. My throat's a little parched, you know. Maybe I need to suck on a little bit of a Werther's to just sort of catch my breath back. But yeah, of course it ended. It's going to end. Catherine's horrible. Edgar's, you know, a slouch. You know, and it's just not going to be good between these two. Well, let's let's find out the exact circumstances of their split in a moment here on Obscure. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Obscure. Mm, got myself a Werther's. Mm-mm-mm. Sucking on a Werther's. Now, that's probably going to make reading not so good, but maybe I'll take it out to continue the tale. Mm. Delicious. All right. So, you know, uh, let's find out what happened between Edgar and Catherine. Mrs. Dean is going to inform us. On a mellow evening in September, I was coming home from the garden with a heavy basket of apples which I had been gathering. It had got dusk, and the moon looked over the high wall of the court, causing undefined shadows to lurk in the corners of the numerous projecting portions of the building. Well, sure, and these are the lurking shadows of their relationship, right? Heathcliff casting the longest shadow of all, I would imagine. I set my burden on the house steps by the kitchen door, 
and lingered to rest, and drew in a few more breaths of the soft, sweet air. My eyes were on the moon and my back to the entrance, when I heard a voice behind me say, Nellie, is that you? It was a deep voice, and foreign in tone, yet there was something in the manner of pronouncing my name which made it sound familiar. I turned about to discover who spoke fearfully, for the doors were shut, and I'd seen nobody on approaching the steps. I think we know who it is, friends, don't we? I think we all know who it is. Something stirred in the porch, and moving nearer, I distinguished a tall man dressed in dark clothes with dark face and hair. He leant against the side and held his fingers on the latch as if intending to open for himself. Who can it be, I thought, Mr. Earnshaw? Oh no, the voice has no resemblance to his. I've waited here an hour, he resumed while I continued staring, and the whole of that time all around has been as still as death. I dared not enter. You do not know me? Look, I'm not a stranger. A ray fell on his features. The cheeks were sallow and half covered with whiskers, the brows lowering, the eyes deep set and singular. I remembered the eyes. What? I cried, uncertain whether to regard him as a worldly visitor. And I raised my hands in amazement. What? You came back. Is it really you? Is it? Yes, Heathcliff. He replied, glancing from me up to the windows, which reflected a score of glittering moons, but showed no lights from within. Are they at home? Where is she? Nellie, you are not glad. You needn't be so disturbed. Is she here? Speak. I want to have one word with her, your mistress. Go and say some person from Gimmerton desires to see her. How will she take it? I exclaimed. What will she do? The surprise bewilders me. It will put her out of her head. And you are Heathcliff, but altered, nay, there's no comprehending it. Have you been for a soldier? Go and carry my message, he interrupted impatiently. I'm in hell till you do. Well, Heathcliff, who are you to come here and make demands on Mrs. Dean or Catherine or anybody else? She is not in your employ, friend, you know? Now, I know, you know, look, we all know your character, your dark and brooding character, but what are you doing skulking around Thrushcross Grange in the middle of the night or late afternoon or whatever time it is? What are you doing, friend? You know, just ring the bell like a normal human being. Just knock, knock, knock. Is the lady of the house in? I gotta ask her a question. What the hell are you doing, skulker? Now, we understand, you know, Edgar's no friend of yours, but after, you know... What did, uh, what did Mrs. Dean just say? What did Nellie just say? A growing happiness between the two, with you out of the picture. And here you're going to come and upset Mrs. N- Mrs. Uh, Dean's apple cart. You know, she's just come in with apples, and here you're going to cast them about. Terrible. Terrible what you're doing. He lifted the latch, and I entered. But when I got to the parlor where Mr. and Mrs. Linton were, I could not persuade myself to proceed. At length, I resolved on making an excuse to ask if they would have the candles lighted, and I opened the door. They sat together in a window whose lattice lay back against the wall, and displayed, beyond the garden trees and the wild green park, the valley of Gimmerton, with a long line of mist winding nearly to its top. 
for very soon after you pass the chapel, as you may have noticed, the sow that runs from the marshes joins a beck, which follows the bend of the glen. Now, that's, that, that little section right there is parenthetical, and it's parenthetically addressed to Lockwood, and I don't know what a sow is, and I don't know what a beck is, and I only have the vaguest sense of what a glen is, but basically what I'm picturing is a, a, a field leading to Gimmerton, and a little crook in the field, and mist sort of floating along the whole thing. Beautiful. Wuthering Heights rose above this silvery vapor, but our old house was invisible. It rather dips down on the other side. Both the room and its occupants, and the scene they gazed on, looked wondrously peaceful. I shrank reluctantly from performing my errand, and was actually going away leaving it unsaid, after having put my question about the candles, when a sense of my folly compelled me to return and mutter, "'A person from Gimmerton wishes to see you, ma'am.' "'What does he want?' asked Mrs. Linton. "'I did not question him,' I answered. "'Well, close the curtains, Nellie,' she said, "'and bring up tea. I'll be back again directly.' She quitted the apartment. Mr. Edgar inquired carelessly who it was. "'Someone mistress does not expect,' I replied. "'That Heathcliff, you recollect him, sir, "'who used to live at Mr. Earnshaw's.' "'Well, well, then what's it?' (laughs) Well, this is stupid. So Edgar, Edgar says, who, I mean, the whole point of Heathcliff saying, ah, just tell her there's someone from Gimmerton to see her, right? I thought the whole point was so that Edgar wouldn't know, rather than that Catherine wouldn't know. But then, so she, he, she says it, there's someone here from Gimmerton, then Edgar asks, and she tells him the truth. It's Heathcliff. Well, what the hell? Why didn't, why didn't she just come in and say, hey, guys, Heathcliff's here. He wants to see you. That's what she should have done. What? The gypsy? The plowboy, he cried. Why did you not say so to Catherine? Hush, you must not call him by those names, master, I said. She'd be sadly grieved to hear you. She was nearly heartbroken when he ran off. Well, don't say that to him. What are you doing? You gossip. You slatternly gossip. Is that What are you doing? She was nearly heartbroken when he ran off. I guess his return will make a jubilee to her. Well, what are you doing? You're just stirring the pot, Nellie. Why would you do such a thing? You just said they're happy. You said they're contented. And here you are putting terrible ideas into Edgar's stupid, empty head. Now, come on. You're smarter than that, kid. You know better than to say such things. It's just going to upset him. It's going to it's going to ignite a little fire of jealousy in, in that soft belly of his. Mr. Linton walked to a window on the other side of the room that overlooked the court. He unfastened it and leant out. I suppose they were below, for he exclaimed quickly, "Don't stand there, love. Bring the person in if it be any one particular." Ere long. I heard the click of the latch, and Catherine flew upstairs, breathless and wild, too excited to show gladness. Indeed, by her face you would rather have surmised an awful calamity. Oh, Edgar, Edgar, she panted, flinging her arms round his neck. Oh, Edgar, darling, Heathcliff's come back. He is. And she tightened her embrace to a squeeze. Well, well cried her husband crossly. Don't strangle me for that. He never struck me as such a marvelous treasure. There's no need to be frantic. 
well, I know you didn't like him, she answered, repressing a little the intensity of her delight. Yet for my sake, you must be friends now. Shall I tell him to come up now? Here, he said, into the parlor. Well, where else, she asked. He looked vexed and suggested the kitchen as a more suitable place for him. Well, now he's being a dick. Everybody's being a dick to everybody, right? Everybody's just a dick, 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 dick. It's a dick, 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 dick book. Dick dicks, one and all. Nellie has no business handling this the way she did it. Catherine may be the most guiltless in this particular incident, but she is certainly not guiltless in her feelings of affection for Heathcliff over her husband and her readiness to reawaken them and to throw it in her husband's face. And Edgar is being a dick because he's saying... Uh, you know, you know what? It's fine that he's here, but uh, why don't we uh, let's put him in where the servants, uh, the servants go in the kitchen, right? He is not up to snuff, so far as I am concerned. He is a vagabond, a goat herder boy of some such. Um, so everybody's being a little bit of a dick to everybody else. Mrs. Linton eyed him with a droll expression, half angry half laughing at his fastidiousness. No, she added after a while, I cannot sit in the kitchen. Set two tables here, Ellen, one for your master and Miss Isabella, being gentry, the other for Heathcliff and myself, being of the lower orders. Will that please you, dear, or must I have a fire lighted elsewhere? If so, give directions. I'll run down and secure my guest. I'm afraid the joy is too great to be real. She was about to dart off again, but Edgar arrested her. You bid him step up, he said, addressing me. And Catherine, try to be glad without being absurd. The whole household need not witness the sight of your welcoming a runaway servant as a brother. Oh, man, I mean, this is just, just terrible behavior. Terrible, typically, uh, I mean, you'd expect this kind of behavior, the sort of classist behavior in an English novel, certainly. But in an American novel, why, it's a surprise. A surprise is what it is. You don't want to get the whole household staff in an uproar because some runaway servant came back and you're treating the kid like family. That's not what we want here at Thrushcross Grange. Start giving people ideas about their station in life. Next thing you know, you've got a, you've got a regular Down Abbey situation on your hands. And we all know how that ended, right? With World War I. Just terrible. So, uh, you know, we'll leave it there with some true complications arising. Heathcliff having disappeared for three, three years, and now Mr. and Mrs. Linton, Mr. and Mrs. Edgar Linton, I should say, have found real happiness at Thrushcross Grange, all of which is about to be upset by the reemergence of the brooding Heathcliff, lurking in the shadows, waiting for his moment to cast a gloom upon Catherine's sunshiny life. And, and Mrs. Dean recording all of it in her memories and relaying it to Lockwood as he recuperates from an illness. So we'll leave it there, you know, kind of exciting stuff, burbling up. But uh, unfortunately, the cauldron in which it is boiling is a witch's cauldron because no good can come from this reacquaintance. Heathcliff should have stayed away. Don't know why he's returning at this juncture. 
don't know what there is to be gained. He knows Catherine has married Linton. He has certainly kept tabs on her, though he may not have been there. He certainly knows what is up. And he almost assuredly could have found happiness elsewhere than the Moors. So we'll leave it there, as I said. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've, I've got some Werther's Originals to, to down. You know, you can eat. You can just suck on them all day. 45 calories for, for, for five pieces. So, you know, less than 10 calories per. Nine calories per sh- one sugar-free Werther. You just suck on them all day, you know. Terrific. Terrific, terrific hard candy. Uh, looks like my internet's back up. That's good. We didn't need the research machine, but we could have used it had we needed to. Um, I'm recapturing Mm-mm-mm-mm. my Werther's, and here we go. We will pick this up on another sugar-free episode of Obscure but until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black. And get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.